You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 43. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so in the last episode, we talked about kind of what endometriosis is, what are some of the symptoms, what does it feel like? Um, this one, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, after the fact you've gone through a surgical procedure, uh, we're going to talk about, is that, does that solve the problem? Because a, a really common question is having a hysterectomy, which is just your uterus out, not an oophrectomy, which is removing your ovaries, but having a hysterectomy, removing the uterus, people want to know, can the endometriosis come back? And then a lot of times people will have a hysterectomy and think, oh, it'll never come back, but that might not necessarily be true. Yeah, right. And uh, as we were talking about in the last episode, and this is something to understand, you know, hysterectomy, you know, of course, your gynecologist is going to kind of delay that as much as possible. A lot of women, as we talked about on the last episode and, you know, kind of was in the news, uh, Leah Dunham, the actress that is on the show, uh, show Girls, I think it said in the article that I was reading about her that she had like nine procedures, a hysterectomy being her last one. So the laparoscopic procedures for the for the endometriosis can be, you know, usually you do have more than one. I think you're the exception to that rule where you only had one procedure. Yours never really but you never really had pain though necessarily, which is probably the big driver for the hysterectomy is they're just in so much you know discomfort, but you never had to go back and have any other follow-up uh, procedures after your first one. No, no. I, it was a shock to everybody actually that I actually had endometriosis because I just had some ovarian cysts and some irregular bleeding, um, no heavy periods, no pain whatsoever. But when when the doc went in because he was concerned about one of the cysts wasn't it was it looked a little solid or it had a, a few compartmental septas in there, so he was concerned that it was more of a solid mass rather than just your simple hemorrhagic cyst filled with fluid or blood. And then when he went in there, he said there, and he even showed me the pictures. He took lots of glossy pictures um, with all the little brown lesions on there that he said, those are, that's endometriosis that I removed. And, you know, I, since then, you know, I've done some different things and I, I didn't necessarily need to have another surgery again and whatnot. But I think, you know, especially with that Lena Dunham, I mean, she's amazing to have accomplished what she has with everything that she's done. And, and then to find out that she has, you know, a stage four endometriosis with how many surgeries did you say? I think her, the hysterectomy was her ninth or 10th, uh, something like that. That's incredible. I mean, I can understand that she must've had, because endometriosis and some people, you know, I'm, I'm a lucky exception, but some people can be, can tremendously affect their quality of life. I mean, it can make the, it can be so painful to see what she's accomplished. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, she could probably rule the world. Yeah. Right. But that hysterectomy, you know, that of course, as we mentioned in the last one, that, you know, that's a really big decision to make. So, but if you're going to make that kind of very concrete decision to have a hysterectomy, your you know the ability to having your own child at that point for a woman, you know that kind of uh, obviously there's other options, but um, that puts a, a huge damper on that on that other part of your life that can be affected by having that procedure. 
So you probably want to know if by having that procedure, does it, you know, does it eliminate the possibility that there's going to be any reoccurrence? That as we're talking about, that's why we're bringing it up is because it's not necessarily that black and white. It's not, you have a hysterectomy and all of a sudden your endometriosis is going to disappear. It could easily flare back up. Uh, and that's the other, I guess, argument of that. Do you leave the ovaries or do you take them out? Does the gynecologist take them out as well too, right? That, you know, that needs to be part of that conversation. I think I love ovaries. I mean, they make the estrogen and progesterone and our own hormones are the best hormones in the entire universe to try to, you can do hormone replacement, you can do hormone treatment, but they're still never going to be as good as your own hormones. So I think keeping the ovaries is a fantastic idea, but you have to have that knowledge afterwards of what can I do to balance my estrogen progesterone because those ovaries are going to keep on trucking if you keep them so that if there are any micro lesions that might be in your colon, that might be on your bladder, because, you know, the doctor, you know, your surgeon can go in there, see the, see the endometriosis, remove them, but not realize there are very tiny, tiny cells that he or she can't see. And then then they grow. They grow after the laparoscopic surgery. The great thing about a hysterectomy, I don't know if it's a great thing, but for, for the women that have to choose that because it's, you know, it's good that they have that choice is they're not going to have the heavy periods anymore because they don't have a uterus. They're not going to have any periods anymore. They're not going to have the painful periods. They're not going to have the mid-cycle spotting. They're not going to have anemia from losing all that blood. But just because the uterus is out doesn't mean that that endometriosis might end up, if there's micro lesions, might end up flaring afterwards. Right, right, right. So again, depending on the age of the woman, if she's in her 20s or 30s, then of course you would think hormone replacement um, would be a possibility. That sometimes happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but one thing that gynecologists do, and we were just talking about this as we were preparing for this episode, uh, when a woman's had a hysterectomy, they don't necessarily prescribe progesterone at the same time because they don't have a his, they don't have a uterus anymore. So that, you know, in their minds that the need for the progesterone is kind of diminished um, because that uterine lining can't grow any longer. The progesterone is there to kind of decrease the growth of that uterine lining. Um, but we don't really agree with that. We think that that's exactly when you want to give them uh, progesterone um, to make sure that that reoccurrence doesn't come back. Because like we've always said, progesterone helps rein in the negative effects of estrogen. So endometriosis affects um, women of, I guess you can call it childbearing age, basically, you know, the ages of 15 and, you know, when somebody would hit menopause, which is why when you hit menopause, your endometriosis can get better or it can go away because it's not, you're not having the hormonally driven um, issues going on. So in somebody that's, like you said, in twenties or thirties, they maybe, they have a hysterectomy because that's their, you know, that last case resort for endometriosis. They're not going to do anything except remove the uterus. They're not, they're not going to give them estrogen. They're not going to give them progesterone they're not going to give them anything. They're just going to say, go live your life and be happy. Where what we want to do is we do know that they're making those hormones is we want to balance that estrogen. And a lot of times after a woman that, because I have a lot of females that have had hysterectomies and they have endometriosis is I want to give them progesterone. Of course we test it. We do a blood test. Granted, if you're not having a period, you don't have a uterus. We don't know where you are in your cycle, but I can usually figure that out. And then we want to maybe replace some progesterone or work on balancing the estrogen that they're making. And un I don't know if this is unfortunate or not, is I actually have a number of women in their 30s that have gotten hysterectomies, but they've also had the oophectomies with the removal of the ovaries as well. And then what they do is they come into my office feeling really crummy. And they're taking, and it's usually always an estradiol oral. 
sometimes a patch, but not really. Oh, it's for some reason lately with the women that have had the ovaries removed, they have this oral estrogen. And then they end up actually sometimes having some pain and they can't figure out where it's coming from. And that's because they aren't balancing that progesterone. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you're in some ways by having the hysterectomy and or the oophorectomy, you're you're solving one problem, but you're creating a whole nother in some ways, both quality of life issues, right? You're getting rid of their pain by having the hysterectomy and the oophorectomy, but now you're causing other quality of life issues. It may not necessarily be pain, but they don't feel, like you said, what makes a woman a woman is, you know, the estrogen, you know, estrogen progesterone, the balance between the two of them. And you disrupt that, you know, they're still, you know, they're still in their thirties, their early to late thirties, and they don't have the hormonal capacity that they, you know, that they should have. They're, they're going to feel, um, they're going to feel completely different than they, than they maybe should at that point if they still had their uterus and or their ovaries. Now they may be pain-free, but now they're trading one set of problems for another set of problems. And then just a side note, let's say, you know, we want to leave the ovaries. You know, if you're a young female, your ovaries are going to protect your bone density. They're going to be good for your cardiovascular system. It's really good for your brain. So, and if you're under the age of 40, I even think under the age of 45, you really should keep those ovaries. But at the same time with endometriosis, there might be some little micro lesions of the endometriosis on your ovaries. And just like what I had, which kind of tipped everybody off once I had the surgery about the endometriosis, was I had an endometrioid cyst, which that's what my my um, surgeon was concerned that it might have been cancer, but thank goodness it wasn't. Be an endometrioid cyst is basically that endometriosis tissue on the ovaries, and then it creates this cyst. So even if you've had a hysterectomy, you can still get those cysts. I've had other patients that have had to have surgeries to remove cysts. Yeah, right. So again, that inflammatory process doesn't, you know, what created the inflammation in the first place doesn't just automatically go away by having the surgery. Uh, so all those other lifestyle things that we, you know, talked a little bit about on the last one, you know, your stress, your sleep, your sugar intake, your liver function, all these other things need to be, you know, kind of taken into consideration to make sure that inflammation does go down. And then there's not a reoccurrence after you've gone through that surgical procedure, whether you've had their procedure or not, those things should be done anyways. And if those things are done prior to having the, you know, the procedure, you probably never have to have the procedure. Okay. Now, granted, we will say that that's not a guarantee, you know, endometriosis, as we're talking about it, we're admitting that it is a very, very stubborn problem and you can go through all those things and may not have the success that you want. And you still end up having to have the surgical procedure, but even having the surgical procedure is not a guarantee either is really the point that we're trying to make. Exactly. So you think after the surgical procedure, whether it's a laparoscopic surgery or it's a hysterectomy, you want to work on, just like Dr. Mackey had mentioned, the inflammation. Because I still consider endometriosis, and Dr. Mackey does too, we consider it as an, basically an inflammatory disease. So if you can reduce down the inflammation in the system, then you can reduce down the likelihood of that inflammation or of those le lesions starting to, when they're dormant, coming to life and, be, and causing all that inflammation. So, you know, we do that with, like Dr. Mackey had said, and we always talk about is sugar and insulin. You know, sugar is probably one of the most inflammatory things we can put in our system. So reducing down sugar is a big is is a big thing. Like we had talked about the liver. The liver metabolizes everything. In particular, if we're making estrogen, which estrogen again is the best hormone ever, but estrogen has to be metabolized and the estrogen metabolites are what can create that in, that inflammation. So if you can make the liver work a little bit more efficiently, so it breaks down that estrogen to reduce some of those metabolites, 
then that's going to reduce down the inflammation. Yeah, right. And we'll talk more about liver function later because, you know, you and I being naturopaths, we focus a lot on liver function. And there are some some of the genetic uh, stuff that is out these days. You know, uh, Dr. Ben Lynch, who is also a Bastier grad, you know, he's talked a lot about methylation and all the, you know, the genetic mutations that can happen and how that can affect how we feel on a day-to-day basis, how and how these things people are can be literally, they can be somewhat, you know, predisposed. Uh, especially, I know we didn't really talk about it on the last one, but certainly these types of problems can kind of go through the family lineage. You know, grandma, mom, daughter, um, sisters, it can kind of go through the, uh, you know, through the family like that. Uh, so there's definitely somewhat of a genetic predisposition for some of that. You all have, you know, in a family, you know, you see this, uh, you know, this uh, process happening from female to female to female, you know, that they're more than likely, there probably is some genetic susceptibility there, especially if their lifestyles are relatively similar. Uh, so. Uh, the hysterectomy may be for a lot of uh, a lot of women may be the last ditch effort, maybe their only option. It may give them the relief that they need, but there still is some work that needs to be done pr- after that procedure um, to make sure that there isn't a reoccurrence. And then you know the hormones can be the bioidentical hormones can be implemented, uh, so now way she feels as good as she possibly can, but yet minimizing that risk of reoccurrence. Yeah, balancing the hormones. And then one of the the easiest things you can do is changing up that dietary is something that we've talked about in past episodes is our keto carb cycling program, the KCCP. So basically by reducing down insulin, you're reducing down that glycemic load, the glucose, and you're reducing down cortisol. Those are all hugely inflammatory. By doing that, you actually have a positive impact on your estrogen and progesterone balance that can actually have a positive impact on your thyroid and your adrenal glands. Because that's something else that we also look at too, is balancing all those metabolic hormones, but as kind of like a take-home thing that after listening to this that you can do like tomorrow morning is really trying to reduce down the processed refined carbohydrates, the sugar, and increasing up your good healthy fats. Yeah, right. Uh, and really taking down the the carbohydrate burden. So if you happen to be vegan or vegetarian where your diet is predominantly carbohydrates all the time, we're not saying that that's a bad thing, right? That's in a lot of ways a very, very healthy diet, but it does take a little bit of know-how and a little bit of planning to make sure that that diet is as we want it to be anti-inflammatory and not creating more inflammation because of the glycemic burden of that diet over time, which unfortunately is something we see a lot. People just think because they're just eating plants all the time, they're not eating any meat, that that is always a healthy thing. Um, But in a lot of cases, it actually feeds these kind of, uh, you know, these hormonally driven inflammatory situations and they're doing more harm when they think they're actually doing themselves a benefit. Oh, exactly. I mean, being a good vegan or a good vegetarian can actually be like a full-time job because it takes a lot of work. I mean, I've people that tell me that they're, you know, vegetarian or they're vegan and they still eat potato chips and drink Coke. It's that, that might not have, that's not exactly the healthiest diet, right? We, we know that. So it's really having that that process, if you're going to be vegan or vegetarian, and in particular vegan, because that is such an anti-inflammatory diet, but doing it in a manner that does do it as a, you know, without combining a lot of, you know, refined grains with some inappropriate fats, and then that causes the insulin and the cortisol and the sugar to go all over the place. So it is really about trying to reduce down that inflammatory foods that we put in our mouth, that's probably the first step that you can do. Is it, is it going to be a guarantee? Probably not. Um, maybe so. It just depends on the person and how they implement it. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, there's some, uh, of course, there's lots of supplementation. We talked about uh, thyroid and there's a, a, a variety of different things that can be done as a, you know, as a full kind of comprehensive approach, but certainly the dietary piece has to be addressed. I, I you know, I don't know exactly why, but there definitely is this connotation that a vegan slash vegetarian diet is a healthier choice and it very well can be, um, but it does, you know, it does take um, doing it right and making sure that that glycemic burden is not too much as kind of a foundational piece. So I think we could probably go on and on and on about this, right? You know, but we wanted to, you know, from our last episode, we wanted to, this was like another question that had come up about that. What happens after the surgery? Is that, is that it? You know, and now granted the surgeon kind of tends to make you believe that, that that's it. You have the surgery and you're good, but that's not always, always the case. If you've had, if you've not had the hysterectomy yet, then more than likely you will probably have more surgeries. Um, so what we're talking about is definitely in your best interest, but even with the his, even with the hysterectomy, there's, you know, there's still some more things that you can do to ensure that it, it never comes back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think for it to occur, there might be a genetic issue going on. It could, like you said, it runs in families, but there definitely is a hormonal component to it. So balancing those hormones, because that's what we love to do is, you know, definitely at the top of the charts, but then also having those lifestyle effects, like we had mentioned, working on the liver. There's a number of things that, that one end might work for one individual, but then you have to change that total treatment plan for another individual. Cause what works for one person is going to be totally different for another person. So it's really finding kind of that kind of treatment plan that works for you. Yeah. And that I think is the frustrating part, not only for other medical professionals, because there is no standard when you're dealing with these kinds of problems. There's, now granted, there are protocols and approaches that can be done, you know, progesterone and thyroid and this and that, you know, there's, there's different things that you can follow from patient to patient to patient. But like you said, it's going to be fine tuned to, you know, to really, uh, to really get them to where they want to be and to make sure that that a problem like endometriosis doesn't keep rearing its ugly head. So I think we'll just wrap the last one kind of ran a little long. I think we'll kind of wrap this one up a little bit just to kind of throw it out there um, that the the surgical procedure does not end the situation. So do you have anything else to add or can we, uh, can we call this one, uh, bring this one to a close? No, no, I think this is great. If any of you have any questions or concerns or comments or personal stories, I mean, we would love, love to hear them. So please visit the website and leave a comment. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the last one, we had, we did have a, if you're still kind of on the fence, kind of deciding if you have endometriosis or not, you're not really sure. Uh, you know, we do have a symptom checklist. You can, it'll be in the show notes. You can download that. So until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.